Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hi and welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. I've decided I love our guests this week. I love most of them. Yeah, I'm it good, thanks. No, terrific. No, I'm G'day, good. Kevin. How, how are you going? But I love <laughs> I love Heather Mitchell. I'm just going to say it because she's such no, a good. delightful lady. No, a busy lady. week. No, thing is, uh, you know, get the, to the supermarket, It was a bit you? on. Yeah, no, I went to the supermarket. Yeah, yeah get your bananas. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I will. The show. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome. And yes, we are both very excited, and I must admit, very besotted. <laughs> besotted's the right word. We are. It's an utterly charming and uh, engaging mm. and uh, and normal, human, genuine, uh, lovely mm. person. Mm. Uh, delightful to talk to. Caring her. and nice. Yeah. We like her a yeah. lot. <laughs> and can I just say. Did we say we're besotted? <laughs> bloody talented. Yeah. Like really, really, really talented. Heather is one of our finest Australian yes. actor. She's been in so many things. I was just going to say, to, to fill in, at the moment too, you can watch her on uh, on one of the streaming platforms uh, in uh, in Love Me, mm. um, which is just so good. Her and Hugo weaving mm. together. This is the second uh, series. It's just a great show. She is absolutely spectacular in it. Mm. But you would have seen her in Tim Minchin's uh, Upright. Upright. My God, was that a role that was just unbelievable. And and you have a favourite of, of hers. <laughs> oh, the, uh, the store attendant, yeah. uh, wedding store attendant in Muriel's wedding. Only a little part, but gee whiz, it, it left a, a – it was a great memory for me and I um, I absolutely love that scene she's, and that character. She's written a book. It's yes. called Everything, Everything and Nothing. And nothing. It's her memoir. It is. It talks about a whole myriad of things. And you'll hear us talk to her uh, in a sec about – all the things in the book. Yep, and the uh, the roller coaster that is life, and and the yeah. the cards that it has dealt uh, Heather. But yes, we're in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> really, I said it first. <laughs> <laughs> I got it first. Hang on, hang on, you're dropped. <laughs> <laughs> like a couple of giddy school kids, mm-hmm. uh, but you'll see why when you when you have a listen. And then we'll get into our food poll, which is a really, really interesting one. It's a great one, and it's a very simple one too, yeah. but it's elicited a massive response on social oh. media. Your good old Vegemite on toast, Kevin. Yes or no. Simple as that. And can I just say, to all the people who don't get uh, mentioned in the poll, thank you so much. It was the, it was the yes. biggest one we've ever done. It was massive. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter went off. Oh, God. Twitter. Like a frog in a sock. Twitter's been off for a long time, but it actually <laughs> went off. Uh, but let's get to our guest because we have to right now because we want to. Heather Mitchell. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. I guess Heather, the best place to start might be in the uh, the kitchen. Is is that a place where your uh, creative juices start flowing? Yes, well, they, uh, they used to. <laughs> <laughs> I used to cook more than I do now. Um, my husband, you know, he travels a fair bit because he's a DOP, so we're time away. But when he's home, I let him do it all. Like I love someone else doing the cooking. I um, I tend to be. I love more dinner parties, so that's when I do more more of the cooking. But the daily meals, I tend to leave to him. I love baking more and um, and dinner parties. Yeah, <laughs> baking was a uh, a subject I found was uh, quite a common theme in your uh, your book, your memoir, uh, everything and uh, and nothing. Uh, in that. You times of nostalgia. You look back, and in, on big occasions of your life and family occasions, baking has to do a lot with it. You you have um you know your aunt Rosemary's dining table groaning under the weight of, of cakes and so forth, and uh, and food is such a part of nostalgic uh, occasions. 
Look, it certainly is. And I think um, and music and food are the two things that I think evoke such memories within people in general, but also very much in me. And I think baking definitely in my, you know, um, my repertoire has come very much from my mother and her two sisters. And they were uh, they weren't particularly adventurous with their baking, but it was the classic, beautiful, the little cakes, the little sandwiches, the um, rum balls, mm-hmm. the macaroons, all those things. And they were con- little shortbreads. But, yeah, but baking, I think, of something as a child that was fun and easy to do mm-hmm. and you could get your hands into it as well. So, you know, rolling dough and doing all those things. So I just love that. And I also love doing it with my kids when they were small, Yeah. So what's your uh, what's your killer punch? What what do you knock out of the park every time? Killer punch. <laughs> well, I, I love I love making the um, chocolate beetroot cake, which is like you know the beetroots where you puree the beetroots up, cook the beetroots, particularly beautiful if you bake them first and then puree them and add them to usually often a, like more a gluten free so that people who are gluten free can enjoy it. Um, with a dense chocolate, very moist, and the beetroot makes it so moist and rich and gives it a wonderful red chocolate colour. And a great way of sneaking vegetables <laughs> and into. And sneaking vegetables in. I used to, when the kids were small and they wouldn't eat vegetables, I'd, I'd spend hours. I read my, Seinfeld's Wife. I remember wrote a cookbook with vegetables and I followed all of those and, you know, spent all Sunday pureeing <laughs> vegetables and then getting a syringe and pushing them into sausages <laughs> they wouldn't notice so. you're in in your book um heather the the thing that transported me and i look the, the way you write I, that is exactly how i felt and i think how kevin you said you felt transported by the vividness of, yeah, yeah. of your, your memories. And, and the thing that stuck out for me early in the piece was your childhood spent um, in, in places such as Seoul and, uh, and Jamaica in particular. To me, it sounds like such a wonderful, exotic place to grow up or to have a couple of years of your, your childhood. Uh, thank you for bringing those up just because they were so indelible in my memory. Even though I was very young, I have such vivid memories of them and particularly Jamaica. And in Jamaica, my biggest memories in terms of food are fruit, all the fruits. And my father planted, there were three kids in the family, and he planted us each um, our own. We had our own um, banana, um, guava. um, We had every tree. He planted all the different fruits from papaya, um, all the breadfruit, all these wonderful trees, and we would go out and pick our own fruit. And, you know, I just remember having fruit juices just pouring down over my bare tummy most of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, a wonderful memory for me. Of the, the, It's really kind of the juiciness of fruit, mm. that wonderful, wonderful, and the smells, the smell of them is very evocative for me, um, mixed with the smells of frangipani and and uh, the, the image of hibiscus and all those wonderful floral things too, uh, just to me, that that sort of richness that comes from fruit and flowers, um, I think there's nothing more beautiful, really. Has that, 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 that given you a palette that uh, you know a wide ranging palette over the years because of your what what you know your childhood experiences? I suppose so. I think um, I'm not particularly interested in big bowls of pasta, and uh, I don't. I'm not particularly keen on one flavored foods. So sitting down to a meal of one flavor doesn't particularly interest me. I do love different flavors, so I do prefer to eat. I like Japanese food, for instance. We can have different um, 
my palate likes to taste different things. So I prefer a small degustation. <laughs> Not that I do that often, but, um, you know, I love different flavours more than, you know, bulk. Yeah. The life of an actor is is, is a busy one and, and sometimes um, an, an unpredictable one. And I imagined uh, that uh, the coffee might might play a, a big part oh. in that type of life. <laughs> Look, coffee played such a big part when I was younger that yeah. I actually gave up coffee for 20 years um, because I found that I was drinking so much coffee when I was in my 20s uh, that and I was living amongst all the coffee shops in Darlinghurst so I realised I wasn't eating properly because I was literally drinking milky coffees and croissants and I was sort of living on that for a few years. So I actually stopped coffee in an effort to um, to make sure I was eating properly. <laughs> but I've taken up coffee again and there's nothing more I love. Every morning Martin and I go for a walk. We go the same walk every morning. We buy our coffee. We do our wordle. And uh, and then we walk home, you know. So that's our routine. Yeah, <laughs> Wordle's great. You have Is to there try a it. sweet tooth that goes with that uh, with with the coffee? No, not in the mornings. No, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm more a savoury than a sweet person. Um, but if I have a sweet, I love a. Um, uh, I do love a. Um, what am I trying to say? A, a, a Portuguese tart. Oh, oh yes, a bit of a Portuguese tart lover. Mm. That's wonderful. Sorry, I was still, you just caught me on uh, on Wordle. That's one of my favourite things to do <laughs> as well. What's the um what's the the minimum uh, amount of attempts that you've had to? Run <laughs> oh, it in two, but that was only once. And this morning's was very frustrating. You know when they give you the words that it could be any word ending in three letters, mm. and you go through a whole lot of them. That I find that frustrating. <laughs> but I do love it when you get one very quickly. But then it's over, and then it's really yes, frustrating. yes. And then you have to. It's one of the few things in life where you are you have to wait, or you have to make an appointment uh, to uh, in order to enjoy it the next day. A bit like television used to be, not on exactly. demand. Yeah, exactly. It's Tell us about the book. Uh, was it uh, was it something that you you sort of harboured a desire to do, or was it something that was kind of propositioned to you and and devolved as a as a natural progression? I had no desire to write a book. And um, it hadn't even occurred to me. And I didn't even know I was writing a book because Malcolm Knox, who is a brilliant journalist and um, and also a wonderful novelist, approached me and said, I think you should maybe do some writing. Why don't you write a story and send it to me, just a story from your life? And I thought he was just encouraging me to do some writing. I had no idea he had this over, <laughs> this sort of plan. Um so I did. I thought, what a lovely challenge. So I went home and wrote a story about my last exam at school because it's a story which has been always in my head. And um, I found it really fun to write it. And I sent it to him and he said, that's really beautiful. Can you write now? Write, why don't you write about your mother now? So I wrote that. And he said, look, you've written about your mother. Why don't you write about her two sisters? So I wrote that. And it wasn't until I'd written like six pieces <laughs> for him. He said, listen, I've showed it to Alan and one Unwin. <laughs> Uh, and they want to publish it if you write another six chapters. I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I had no intention of writing a book and it was only because of his incredible generosity, his incredible support, and it's such a beautiful thing to have given me the opportunity to do this because, I mean, I would never have done it and I wish I'd now paid a little more attention to it. If I'd known it was going to be published, I probably wouldn't have written some of the things, but I probably also would have spent a little more time and been a little more careful. But um, he didn't want it to be doctored with. He said, no, we just want it to be your voice. We'll print it as it is. 
So I didn't spend much time on it. I actually just wrote it as it came and handed it over. I like that. That's a sneaky well, way that's, of getting that's it done. The, yeah, that's the beauty of the book, though, as well, is, is, is that it is a very natural and very real and very, uh, very relatable um, tale. Well, well, thank you. I think that's all I'd love is just that even if there are just moments in it that someone goes, oh, I get that or I that resonates with me or something to do with your family or something to do, which is why I didn't want to write a book about the industry. I wanted the... Um, well, that became evident anyway that what was more important to me was uh, the industry is very important, but what's important to me are the people that mm. I've been with and the experiences I've had. Yeah, yeah. And those people uh, include the wonderful uh, Hugo Weaving. There's a chapter in the book where you talk about, I, I hadn't heard of this before, Kevin had, that when you, you forget your, your lines on stage, it's called uh, you, you're, you're drying or you're dry. <laughs> um, and in, in that chapter you talk about... Um, the best method of dealing with that is is effectively just to be to be honest and uh, and own it. Yeah, and I, look, I've tried it a few times, and um, particularly during a preview, like I just did a show last year, um, a one person show which Susie Miller calls a monodrama, and um, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And every preview, I had to call for a line because, <laughs> uh, you know, the words were still so new, and there was so much to think about technically, and the audience was so appreciative and beautiful. And I think if you if you don't know, particularly if you can stay in character, you either stay in character, which was easy in that case because Ruth could easily call for something, ask for help. But if you can't, to actually admit to the audience, say, I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> help. And then um, they seem to appreciate it and they love watching you then go back and do it again, you know. So then, then it reminds them that they are seeing something that is live, that's not there's no two performances the same. They're getting a unique one, you know. Mm. So I think and that I think that's something in everything in life that to remind ourselves everyone makes mistakes and everyone has accidents and we shouldn't be ashamed of it and just go, oh, made a mistake or and just claim it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, that show you talked about the uh, the we where you Playing Ruth Ginsburg was is is quite unbelievable in terms of what you had to do um, in in that that that's like that's like thirty different shows in one. <laughs> Look, it was so beautiful because Susie is such a brilliant writer, and because she's not only has such a legal mind, so understands all the legal, um, not only the terms, but the workings of the legal, the judicial system, and how it works in society as well, and. Because she was able to do that, plus the humanity, she has such a humanity, it was such a beautiful script to work on. So it wasn't difficult. It was because it also involved a lot of music. Um, so a lot of the music carried it um, It was because uh, she was such an opera lover. So it was, although, you know, we still had to learn it, and that's just a slog really, mm. um, apart from that, it was never tiring to do. It was never, um, it always flew by. I loved every minute. If anything, it gave me energy. It was um, it was not ever taxing. Yeah, you've been and sometimes even if you've got a small part, it can be taxing yeah. if it's not yeah. written, if it's not not something you love. You know, it's like with anything. Yeah. You have been in so many uh, films, Heather. Um, uh, you know, literally uh, dozens. People, when they when they stop to talk to you, or want to talk about your 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 history in, of, of acting. Is, is there any particular role that uh, people want to talk about more than others? 
look, very few people ever recognise me, which is kind of great and <laughs> rarely stop me and ask me anything. But if they do, they're usually people who are now 40, in their 40s, and Spellbinder oh. is the overwhelming thing that um, it was a children's series we did back in the um, very early 90s. And it seems to be the show that because the 40-year-olds were then 13 or 14 years old, it's very much part of their childhood. So that's the thing that people generally tend to um, recognise me from. I'm going to out Sarah here because oh. Sarah's Sarah's vivid, vivid memory of you is, is the, and it's only a very small, <laughs> you talk about a small role being taxing, but at Muriel's wedding. <laughs> I love it. It, it it every time uh, we we oh, talk. That's yeah, Chantel. Um, <laughs> well, that was I'll never forget because my husband Martin shot that, and PJ and Joss were very very dear friends of, or are very very dear friends of ours. And I remember when PJ was um, said to me, "No, I want you to play the the wedding shop attendant." And I said, "Oh, okay." And he he performed it for me to show me exactly how he wanted the silk ivory done. <laughs> it's so fabulous. So I just did what he did, really. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the beauty of a film like Muriel's, there's so many great characters in it. And I think that's the beauty of a film like that, like Priscilla, like a lot of our wonderful Australian films that have become quite memorable is because of the wonderful characters in them. Um, and we we sort of, you know, enjoy, I think audiences do enjoy uh, loving particular scenes, you know, and that's yeah. that's the skill of a great writer and, and director, yeah. you know, to be able to play it. Now you mentioned earlier about dinner parties and how you like to throw dinner parties. What what happens at a dinner party at your place with you and Martin? Give us give us some inside oh, information. Well, we we have a table that only seats at the most eight or ten. We can squeeze ten in, you know, sitting on top of each other. So they're usually no more than ten people uh, at the most. But I prefer maybe even smaller, like six to eight people. Um, and a dinner party, I always cook way too much food. <laughs> I always get overexcited. Um, in winter, I love doing like a slow, slow, slow cooked lamb and vegetables and things like that. Um, I like to make a pie for dessert mm-hmm. or a cake. But dinner parties will be, look, we love Negronis, we love martinis, and we love champagne. So we'll start with that and then we'll progress to some wines. Um, we're very fortunate that our table is bef- in front of a big sliding window so in the summer, particularly, we open that and have a beautiful sort of breeze or, you know, uh, can see the bats flying past. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I love having people over. I really love it. And I think during we haven't had as many dinner parties since COVID, and I suppose we all got used to bunkering down and not having people over, and gradually we're opening up again and and uh, sort of entertaining more. But I do love it. I really love it. And I, the lighting is very important to me. So it's very important to have, you know, no overhead lights, lamp light. Is that what light. attracted you to your husband, his ability to be a lighting person? <laughs> That's right, darling. <laughs> I always say, where's the fill light? <laughs> Which... Well, quite frankly, the first job I did with him, I was wearing, like, I don't know if you know what I mean, but what's called an Osti dress. Yes, in the, I do. This is like a nylon slip-on mm. from the waist to the top, the most unattractive, shapeless dress that women used to wear around the house as their house dress. And I was wearing one of those, no makeup, hair pulled back, and um, he um, lit me and thought I looked the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. So I thought, well, there you go. Wow. Can't go down there. 
<laughs> Which begs the question, if holding a dinner party with without notice this question, Heather, if, if you could invite anybody, a dream oh. dinner party guests, dead or alive, who would who would be on your, well, your you list? You two would be there first. Thank oh, you. thank you. You two. <laughs> well, that would have been really fun. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh, what a question. Mm. Um, look, I think, oh, dream dinner party. Oh, I'm going to have to think about that. There are so many people. Um, <laughs> Oh, you've really got me. Yeah, it's difficult. And it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you just start thinking of I'm dead or alive. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I have a lot of I think I'd like to start with a lot of sort of dead playwrights. I'd like to have um some wonderful playwrights. Uh I'd even love to have Nick Enright back, who's an Australian playwright. I'd love to see Nick again. I, I think I'd love to see some okay, I'd love to see people who've um who've passed away, Australians who've passed away who from, say, 20 years ago and be reunited with them and talk to them about, you know, how they saw the world then and maybe from where they are now, how they're perceiving it now, because who knows? So, um, yeah. But I think because I think a lot about people, I actually do um, think a lot about people who have passed away, Mm. people who I've been close to, and I feel I like to keep a connection with the people that when someone has died, they're not gone. And I do like to keep people alive within myself and um, and and um, and talk about them. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a beautiful passage in your book where you uh, you talk about a, a, an elderly gentleman who um, he's walking ahead of you on the on the footpath and he he crumples to the to the pavement and um, you're there with him basically when he's uh, dying, cradling him and offering him reassurance in those final uh, minutes, which Certainly, I mean, to the read has a, a profound sort of effect when you think of it. What what was it like for you? That was an amazing day because everything about that day was so clear in my memory. The smells, the feeling of the sun. The, I, it was it was such a unique experience because firstly because I was excited to be in Adelaide. I was in Adelaide doing a show and I was excited about the show. So I was in a very uplifted state anyway. And then to see this man on this beautiful, crisp, sunny morning was sort of collapsing and then to realise it was the end of his life at a time when I was quite high and full of life. And so it was a very um, tender and privileged moment I found and it was a reminder, as I think we can have constantly in life, reminders that we're a whisper away from, from anything happening and I don't mean that in a negative way or a sad way. I just mean that life is, nothing is for certain and nothing is stable. Nothing is um, known. And it's the unknown that's full of possibilities, really, I think. And I think being an actor, the only way to survive in our industry is to to be um, excited about possibilities um, happening out of nowhere. Uh, and I, so that experience to me was... Um, I just felt a great feeling of privilege to be with this man I didn't know and felt very honoured when his family reached out to me afterwards um, and wanted to meet me and told me more about him. Oh, that that's, that's lovely. It was lovely. Yeah. That cavalcade of life experiences that you you kind of have, that catalogue that you have of of your own experiences and, and things that, that that like that that one we just talked about there, that help you as an actor? Which experiences the ones to do? Well, I mean, you've had you've had your own health battles. Um, uh, do, do, oh, all yes. those things kind of 
help you when you when you're creating a character or being being a character and being someone else being not being you? I would assume that most actors long to be able to use their life experience in their work and that rarely gets to happen. Okay. You rarely get a role that you really feel you can use everything you've got. Most roles I think use a facet of yourself. You can bring part of yourself to it. For me, to be able to bring my life experience to my work is what I long for and why I stay doing it because I feel that the one of the greatest things about being an actor is that there's no division really between who you are and your work and that you can bring, although you're playing someone else's story, you're telling a different story, um, you're um, speaking someone else's words, in the end it's me doing it and I can't escape that it's me and I can't pretend it's not me. So I don't, I don't um, think of it as in terms of wearing a mask. Some people do. They think um, acting is putting another mask on. Um, to me, it's not. It's the reverse. It's about um, allowing my life experience to blend with the, the author's experience. And in a way, I'm an advocate for the writer and an advocate for the character. Mm. So I'm just there enabling the story or the character's life to, um, which can't speak for itself, to speak for them. Yeah. Oh. Heather, um, Kevin just touched on um, on the fact you've you've had your own personal health challenges, um, and if if I may touch on the um, the breast cancer diagnosis, the initial diagnosis, and in your book, um, you basically said that the uh, you were you were told that there was nothing to worry about. Uh, you were reassured you, there was a lump there that you could feel, but. You were told no, it's uh, it's okay, and I, I believe it was you that actually flagged the idea of well, maybe we should try an ultrasound. Maybe this isn't showing up on the mammogram, um, and it was only then that the cancer was uh, discovered. Can you take us back to that uh, time and the the feelings surrounding that? Yeah, look, the main reason I wrote that was because I think that um, we all hear little voices in our heads, or we get feelings about something's not quite right. And I wrote that mainly and wanted to share that experience mainly because, I, you know, listening to ourselves is very important, I think. And I personally have always deferred, always and still do defer to people um, who have great experience in areas that I'm not proficient in or have no idea about. So I have great reverence for doctors and scientists and lawyers and da-da-da. However, um, they're fallible too. And science is not always an exacting um, thing because when you're dealing with human beings, human beings have variations. <laughs> so I really, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I had a niggling voice for quite some time, which I would push down um, in in deference to what the doctor was saying. The doctor was a wonderful doctor. This is not anything against the doctor. The doctor was doing what she believed was right and the mammograms were coming back clear. She wasn't misreading them, but the, where the lump was was not, I don't think, being captured in the mammogram. So it wasn't till I discovered that one could have a an ultrasound, which I didn't know about, that I went, ah, that will pick it up. And sure enough, it did. Mm. So I just think it's more about listening to if you're ever, you know, and I, in my experience, it's the first thing in the morning, the last thing at night is when thoughts tend to bubble up. And if you get those thoughts, follow through. That's all. Just try not to push thoughts down if yeah. you get little messages. 
follow through because it seems more and more that although we have wonderful treatments for cancer, um, each cancer is different and some are very difficult to um, treat. And obviously early detection is always the best way, yeah. Have you got a kitchen tip for us? <laughs> something that, well, that, something that uh, okay. <laughs> I was just given an air fryer. Ah. <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> okay, so I was given an air fryer recently and um, I thought, oh, what's this piece of rubbish? And it's taking up all this bench space and it's plasticky and I thought, what is this? Anyway, we cut up some potatoes and we put them in there and made chips and they were fantastic. <laughs> And then I tried a bit of fish and that was beautiful and tender and beautiful. Look, for a quick meal, it was absolutely fantastic. I'm a little concerned and I hope, you know, not going to stop any sales of, um, but, you know, then I thought, what is it made of? Because anything that goes to a high temperature, Mm. if it's um, plastic or it has any carcinogens that can be released, then I was a bit concerned about that. So I'd love to look into that to see what they are made of. But apart from that, it was, it's a wonderful um, little contraption. And uh, certainly good for boys who are in their 20s who can just throw something in there and doesn't take much washing up. Um, but as for a kitchen tip, um, our kitchen is completely unrenovated. We, we rent a, a beautiful old deco apartment, but it's um, a very unrenovated kitchen uh, with the stove, the door doesn't always shut. And, um, you know, the, there is no exhaust extractor. And um, so... I just think have fun in the kitchen. So I would just say have fun in the kitchen and make it a fun place and um, and experiment, yeah. I often, I'll follow a recipe, but then there'll always be an ingredient I forgot to buy and so I have to improvise. And sometimes that doesn't work and and then I realise the, the beauty of a recipe, why it's a recipe. Yep. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Oh, beautiful. And you can put a whole roast uh, chook in the air fryer too, Heather. I've done can that you? before. It has to be reasonably small, but the crispy skin is next level. <laughs> I don't understand how it gets so crispy. No, me yeah. either. It's magnificent. Yeah. Someone yeah. told me yesterday they put their spring rolls in there. Kevin puts yeah. Chico rolls Chico in there. Chico rolls. Mm. Oh, you don't eat Chico rolls. Yes, he does. <laughs> Well, he likes the experience. He likes the experience of having them in the uh, the paper packet that they come in. Yeah, you get the paper bag, you get them in the. It's as it's as near as reliving my childhood. You know, as a twelve year old walking into the fish and chip shop. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you so much, darling. It was lovely to meet you. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. The book is called. Everything. Everything and, and nothing. nothing. And it is available now and you should read it. It's out through Alan and Unwin and it is very it's good. It's a wonderful memoir. She has such a uh, knack for writing. It's so vivid and it felt like being carried along on a, uh, a magic carpet ride, to be honest. And watch the series too. Love me. It's just, it's great. All know, right. You keep telling me to Let's do that. Let's <laughs> get to the food poll. I've got a surprise in the food poll for you oh, too. Oh, I can't wait. Yes, it's Vegemite on toast. Yes or no? Oh, gosh, I guess it depends how thick you spread it. And, again, apologies to all the people oh. who miss out because there are so many here. We love it when you when you react like yeah, this. Great. Muriel will start us off. She says, it is a total yay for me. Glenn Driscoll, yes. Rebecca says, I love it. One of the few things I miss, Beck being in Thailand, many British friends who think Marmite is better, though, and she has a vomit emoji to It'll go with that. Up. It'll come up <laughs> during the poll, trust me. Uh, our producer, Steve Fisher, makes a special note here. He said, it's really the only thing I know how to cook. 
<laughs> so it's a big yay from me. <laughs> on your Steve. Vegemite on toast. Terry yeah. Daniel says, that is a nay from me. I've never been a fan. Gee, how un-Aussie of me. In the corner, Terry, because Cherie says, yes, yes, yes. Peter, yay, sometimes with cheese as well. Oh, Kerry Rodder says, yum, yay. <laughs> I pack it in my suitcase if you head overseas, <laughs> and you should. <laughs> uh, Sarah Warmby says, that is a no from me. I'm a promite girl. Kim says yes, even better if it's white oh, toast. Ah, yeah, same for a Bunnings snag. <laughs> Caroline says absolutely yes. However, this pick on Facebook doesn't have enough. It needs to go to the outer edges of the crust too. They're very fussy about our Vegemite, as you'll find out. Lydia says yep, with lashings of real butter. Andy Blake says the best. Yes, please. Shall go and make some now. Anthony says I'm so glad that my local Tesco stocks it. A lot of overseas reaction to this one. A hundred percent yes. Breakfast, lunch, and occasionally dinner. Oh, does Anthony live in uh, the UK? Hey. Yeah. And Nicola says, yes, Vegemite toast with a generous layer of butter, but, Kevin, not margarine. Correct. Branton says, save your money, don't buy Vegemite, just cover your toast with salt, it tastes the same. <laughs> Thanks, Branton. Uh, Tim says, uh, unless it tingles the corner of my mouth, uh, it's not enough Vegemite. <laughs> Steve M says, Australia's national dish. Smizzy on Twitter says, yes, it is the stuff champions are made of. Judith says, yay, but a little thinner than uh, in the photo. John Casper, it would be my last meal. Wow. That would make John Casper the friendly ghost. <laughs> Leonie says, absolutely, I love it. It's a big yay from me. Cindy Warren in cap says, hello. Is that even a question? Charlene says, no, can't stand Vegemite. Annie says, yes, but you have to spread it thinly. Lee says, I thought it was a citizenship requirement. <laughs> Roger says, salt reduced, although when you have it like that, it, it does lose something. Suzanne says, hell yes, but no butter. Annika, my word, absolutely, but it is my preference to let the toast go cold before buttering and then applying the Vegemite. Uh, now, another one, Steph, says, <laughs> no, I like Marmite. It's what I was brought up on. Vegemite is too strong. It's not not all Australians like mm. Vegemite. Gigi says, uh, yay, but cool the toast first so you can see the butter and dabs on Vegemite. <laughs> all right. The uh, doc, uh, Dr. Stuart Edzer here, says, life is pointless and meaningless without Vegemite <laughs> on toast. Good on you, Doc. Chris Craig, try it with a sprinkle of freshly ground Black pepper. Don't knock it till you've tried it. Unilag says nay. If it, I think of pure unadulterated <laughs> ad, ad, adulteration, adulteration, <laughs> an offence against the senses, an abomination unto all gods. Oh, right, eh? Thanks, Unilag. Strong feeling there. Yeah, Not the real Toby says yay. And if you really want a treat. Then Vegemite and peanut butter together on toast. Nanny the Nanny says, I remember having Vegemite and lettuce Ooh. sandwiches. They're actually nice. Phil says, yay, with Duck River butter. And 95 Mark R says, with a poached egg on it, nearly every morning. Oh, wow. Now, before I give you the results, I've gone to an expert. Have we got one? I've got an expert in the field. Ah. His name is Jamie Callister. Yep. Uh, he has written a book called Vegemite, and the reason he wrote the book is because his grandfather is the man who invented Vegemite in a factory in Port Melbourne. That's right. It was something to do with how to use the leftover yeast. yeast. Yes. It's all in the book that he's written called Vegemite. I've talked to him about it for the Authorised Podcast, mm. but I asked him how he liked to have his Vegemite. I love Vegemite, but, I mean, look, I'll, I'll have it on toast like everybody else but I'll also have it on biscuits like in the afternoon for a snack or whatever. And the funny thing is the more I talk about it, the more I feel like getting it. 
So there, if it's good enough for the grandson of the man who invented it to have it on toast, it's good enough for me. <laughs> so how did we go with that? What do the people say? Well, the people said Vegemite's wonderful. If you don't like it, it's un-Australian, leave the country. Well, I don't. <laughs> I don't like it, Kevin. Our son absolutely hoovers it up. See, I can't work the. I can't work out what happened because he doesn't have butter on it on uh, it, and he has it really thick. Yeah. And I, I thought I bought him up with really <laughs> thinly spread Vegemite with with butter or, or margarine. I think preferably it's, a, butter. it's an acquired taste. I love it. Yeah. I could uh, if a uh, fallback for me at lunchtime if there's nothing else that I feel mm. like get two pieces of bread, a bit of butter, and some Vegemite, and off you go. Mm. Bob's your uncle. And 90% to 10% Gee, was the poll. Gee That's the a bigger result. margin than I imagined. A reminder again about everything yes. and nothing. The book from Heather Mitchell, it's available now, uh, and we, we loved having Heather on the program. Uh, we loved Heather. Yes, we did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Have we made that clear? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I love Vegemite too. Um, <laughs> and you love me more than life itself. Uh, hey! <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, we've got to go to a session now. <laughs> Counselling. <laughs> Counselling. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page for recipes, tips and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier.